to. By the way, we shortened the worship a little bit, and we're going to do a couple of songs at the end because today is Remembrance Day. Uh, so we're going to honor uh, that day, and we're also going to pray uh, for the persecuted church around the world. This weekend, it's more tomorrow, but we meet on Saturdays, is a very special day where we pray for the persecuted church. So we're going to do those things toward the end. That's why we're a little tighter uh, on time today. This is week two of how to survive the holidays. And I've heard some interesting comments from people. Uh, maybe, you never, maybe you never heard a message like this before. Uh, but honestly, I feel like people who are used to the gargantuan celebration of Christmas uh, realize that it can be a very stressful time of year. It can stress you out financially. It can, in particular, stress you out relationally because you have to be with certain people who you may not like at Christmas. You have to be with that cousin. You have to be with that in-law or outlaw, as I sometimes call them. You, you, you have to be with that coworker at the Christmas party. You know, whatever it is, you're, you're sort of squeezed. And sometimes it's just a matter of surviving it and getting, getting finished with the holiday season uh, so that you can breathe again. And, and so, so it, it can be a very stressful time of year. Uh, so last week we talked about uh, a book that may not come to your mind as it relates to this, but we talked about Philemon, and Philemon is a book that is written to a, uh, a slave owner, and we looked at the whole thing, uh, all these different words like forgiveness and restitution and all these kinds of things. So I want to, to do week two today. Uh, maybe your dinner table looks like that around the holiday season. Lots of conflict, lots of accusation, lots of tension. All right, so I want to talk about that kind of thing uh, for today and next week. This is part two. And if you remember uh, last week, if there's one verse of scripture that you can remember... I don't care if you forget everything else, if you ignore the rest, doesn't matter. Uh, but if there's one thing for you to remember, it's this passage that'll come on the screen. Okay, this is from Ephesians. This is from the pen of Paul. You want to survive the holidays? You want to make it through in terms of relationships with people? You do it. This says you'll be in good ground. Be kind and compassionate to one another. We usually have no problem with that. The next part is harder. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Take a picture of it, write it down on a piece of paper, uh, uh, flag it in your electronic Bible. If you just do what that passage says, really, if you really do what it says, you will be shocked at, at the work that God will be able to do in your life. When you really do what it says, because this is a very, very hard verse to obey, but this is the expectation uh, that Paul had of believers when he's writing to that church. So I want to give you an example of this from a little story that Jesus told. He only tells it in one place. He tells it in Matthew's gospel. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it is in uh, Matthew chapter 18. All right, so if you want to turn there in your, in your Bible, maybe you have it electronically, maybe you have paper, uh, maybe you didn't bring one. I'll read you the story, but this is in Matthew chapter 18, and I'll start it at verse 23. He only tells it here. It's a little story uh, that is an answer to a question. Actually, I'll start at verse 21. So this is Peter, 
And Peter asked Jesus a question that I'm sure you have probably asked uh, and wanted to ask God. And you probably asked yourself. Then Peter came to Jesus, verse 21 of Matthew 18, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? This can be brother or sister. The term works for either gender, just so you know. Uh, how, how many times should I forgive when he or she sins against me? Up to seven times? And here's the answer from Jesus. Shocking answer in the story he tells. He says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 Seven times, or in some translations, 70 times seven, suggesting kind of an infinite amount of times. Uh, therefore, and here's the story, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. And a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents, if you do the math, and you know the, the, what they used back then. We're talking about a, a, an amount of money that's immeasurable. It would be the equivalent of billions of dollars, okay? So just think of it that way. A man who owed him billions of dollars was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. So this would be selling them into the, the class of being a slave. These, were, these servants were high up people. They had the ability to borrow money from their king and this guy and his wife and children are gonna be sold into slavery to repay the debt as if that would repay it. Again, it's a story. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Uh, and the servant's master, verse 27, took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Billions of dollars. Billions. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is about three months' wage. Three months compared to billions of dollars. Again, it's a vivid story that Jesus is telling. And what does he do to the guy who owed him the three months? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Choke him physically. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. He refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told the big cheese, told the big boss, the master, everything that happened. And so the master called the servant and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours, all the billions of dollars because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. In that day, you take the person, you throw them in prison, 
and you torture them because you think you could extort money out of them that they had in secret places. So think of it this way. Well, he's got some offshore account somewhere. So if we put him in prison, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make a pun of the day, the daily news just came to my mind. So he's got some offshore accounts. If we put him in prison, we torture him, we're going to get the money, right? So this is what he does to this guy who owes him, you know, three months wages. He says, and the big cheese tells him, shouldn't you have had mercy on this fellow who only owed you three months wages? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, as if he's able to pay back billions of dollars. This is how my heavenly father, Jesus says this at the conclusion of the story. It's one of the most disturbing uh, passages of scripture that there is in the gospels. Uh, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's my answer, Peter. To your question, how many times? So, there's many thoughts that come into our minds as we read this story. It's a very, very shocking, very disturbing story because we start thinking all kinds of things. Uh, I just want to break it down with you and try and answer some of your questions because there are many, uh, starting with Peter's question. Uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? Um, in verses 21 and 22. Is it seven times? Oh, is 70 times seven? And here's, here's what happens to us in the modern era when we think about this question and when we think about Jesus' answer. We think to ourselves, is Jesus saying, you could just let yourself be abused, let injustice happen to you, let people take advantage of you, And you're a Christian, so you have to forgive the person over and over and over and over again. And it never stops because you're the Christian and that's what you're supposed to do. And this is what a lot of us think when we read the passage. Say, okay, well, you know, he's kind of like turn the other cheek. So so we just have to let ourselves be taken advantage of and abused. This arises because we have a lack of understanding of what the passage is saying, but of what forgiveness is, what forgiveness really is. Uh, Let me tell you what it is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You will never forget. Uh, You will never forget what he did to you. You will never forget what she did to you. You will never forget forget what uh, they did to you. That doesn't mean you can't forgive, but you will never forget. And sometimes people say, well, time heals all wounds. No, time makes scabs, but it doesn't necessarily heal all wounds. So forgiveness is not, is not forgetting. Uh, Forgiveness is not condoning. It doesn't mean, oh, it's okay. You can do it to me again and again and again because I'm the Christian. So you can take advantage of me. I can be your doormat. No, forgiveness is not condoning. And forgiveness is not ignoring. Oh, well, that didn't really hurt me. That didn't really bother me. I'll ignore the pain that it's caused. None of those things are forgiveness. Um, If we look at the passage and we look at the context of the passage, I played a little trick on you, and I only read from Peter's question. Uh, There's a broader context to this question 
uh, that starts in Matthew 18 and uh, verse 15. And some of you, you know this passage really well. If your brother sins against you, Jesus is saying, you go and you show your brother his fault. That's not ignoring. That's not condoning. That's not forgetting. You go and you show your brother his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won him over. But if he will not listen, you take two or three others along. Remember that two or three. Just remember. You take two or three others along so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Quote from the Old Testament law. So again, person sins against you, you go and you show that person his fault. If that doesn't work, you take two or three with you and you show that person his or her fault. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And the church is the, the whole community of faith, the ecclesia, the gathering of people. You take the thing and you, you start enlarging the circle is what he's saying. You challenge the person privately. That doesn't work. You take two or three. That doesn't work. The whole community, it's, it's a very, very serious matter when it becomes that far. And if he refuses to listen, even to the community of faith, then you treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, you treat the person as if he is not part of the community of faith. Now, in my view, these principles work whether you're dealing with a Christian or a non-Christian. You treat a, a non-Christian this way, they'll be shocked when you go to them privately and you tell them what wrong they did to you. Uh, I remember doing this with a, with a boss uh, years ago when he said something offensive and I took him aside privately, my boss, and I told him, you did this, you said this. You know how apologetic he was? He didn't fire me at all. He respected the fact that I went to him privately, you see. Uh, but anyway, Jesus is saying you enlarge the circle. But just remember the two or three part. I tell you the truth, he continues, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two, uh, if two of you on earth agree about anything uh, you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there's that two or three again, there I am with them. This is such a misquoted passage of Scripture because what we do is we take the binding and the loosing part out of its context. We take the two or three part out of its context. The whole section is about when somebody sins against somebody else, what do you do? And where two or three are gathered in my name, they're gathered in my name for the purpose of discipline. They're gathered in my name for the purpose of dealing with sin that has happened. It's not, it's, we can't rip the thing out of its context. We have to appreciate the way that Jesus said it. And then Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. how many times do I have to do this? If this person sinned against me, I have to go and show him his fault, and then if he doesn't have to two or three, then he doesn't. How many times? How many times do I have to go through this, right? This is what Peter is asking. So in no way is forgiveness forgetting. In no way is it condoning. In no way is it ignoring. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. And you can, if, if this is the definition that, that helps you, again, take a picture of it, 
Write it down. Do whatever you need to do. This is what forgiveness is. Releasing your right to get even. That's what it is. You're releasing your justifiable right for revenge. Yes, they hurt you. Yes, he hurt you. Yes, she hurt you. And yes, you have a right to take revenge on them. Yes, you have a right to do it, but you are releasing that right. And you are saying, you know what? I trust that God will avenge and God will repay. Book of Romans, it is mine to avenge, it is mine to repay. Quote from the Old Testament there. Uh, uh, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. If he's hungry, give him something to eat. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head <laughs> in the book of Romans. This is forgiveness. You're letting the person off of your hook. You could keep them there. You could punish them. You could grab them and choke them and say, pay me what you owe me because of justice, but you're letting it go. And you're saying, I trust God to do that. I will not hold the person hostage by my personal quest for vengeance. This is, is what forgiveness is in interpersonal relationships. So you release your right to take revenge. You say that's impossible. You don't know what he did to me, what they did to me, what she did to me. No, I don't, but I know what he, she, and they did to me. <laughs> we all have our they's and our he's and our she's, don't we? But when we release our right to take vengeance, who gets set free first and foremost? We do. We do. Sometimes that can translate into the other person being changed as well. Sometimes, sometimes not. And we see the example in the story. So why is Jesus' Jesus's conclusion to the parable so offensive? This part makes the hair stand up on the back of our neck, you know, when the, the master turns around to this unmerciful servant who he's forgiven all the debt, and he turns around and he says, I'm, I'm changing my mind, I'm throwing you in prison, I'm torturing you, in a sense, for the rest of his life. How's he going to pay back billions of dollars? Uh, and Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It is so offensive to us, but... Why is it offensive? When we inspect the story a little bit, we see that really the conclusion to the story is quite logical. So just breaking it down. The servant, this unmerciful servant, if you watch him and you think about him and you watch the way that he behaves in this story, again, it's a story where Jesus uses these huge terms. He's using almost like hyperbole, you know, billions of dollars compared to three months' wages. He, he's, it's not realistic. He's doing it to get a point across. So this servant felt that he could pay back an unpayable debt. It's, it's billions of dollars when you look at the math and you try and do the math on it. It's as if Jesus intentionally is speaking about an amount of money that you can't even measure. Like, why does this guy think that he can pay back an unpayable debt? Do you ever look at your, your credit card bill closely? Do you ever read the little line? I think it's at the end of the bill that says, if you pay minimum payments only on this amount, it will take you X amount of time to repay. You ever read that line? 
So it, on average, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the average Canadian household is 22 grand in credit card debt. Average Canadian household. Maybe you're better than average, I don't know. But the average Canadian household, $22,000 in credit card debt. Imagine you're paying minimum payments on 22 grand. You know when you'll get out of debt? Well after you're dead. Well after uh, uh, you pay your taxes on your death. Well after your family inherits your debt. That's when you'll pay it. This debt here that this guy has to pay, it's billions of dollars and he foolishly tells his master, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. Uh, excuse me? How? I mean, he's right at the outset of the story. He's, he, he, he got himself in a posture of refusal of cancellation of this debt. He wants to work off an unpayable debt. Don't be like that when God has paid your debt for you. Don't be like that. This is sometimes the hardest thing for people when they want to cross the line and become a follower of Jesus. They say, what do I have to do to become a follower of Jesus? I have to you give me a list of things that I must do. And the problem is there's nothing you can do to become a follower of Jesus. There's plenty of things that you do after you become a follower of Jesus, sure, and you should want to do all those things, but you can do nothing to become a Christian except surrender your life to Christ. That's all you can do. You, ha you are in need. We are in need of mercy. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve, and we are in need of grace. That means you get what you don't deserve. We're in need of both. We're helpless without surrendering to Jesus. There is absolutely nothing you can do to become a Christian. You just have to surrender your life to Christ. And this fellow here, he wants to work off the unpayable debt. It's impossible to do that. You've got to be extremely deluded to, to think that you can pay off an unpayable debt. Uh, but this is what he seems to, to think, uh, that he can pay back everything. Uh, and you see how he reacts after a debt of billions of dollars in the modern equivalent is canceled by his master. What does he do? Verses 28 to 30, when that servant went out. So pr presumably he's in the company of his master. His master cancels his billions of dollars of debt. And when he went out, it's as if he immediately finds someone who owes him money. Why do we not see any expression of joy in this man? Can I just tell you, if, if, uh, if MasterCard or Visa or whoever I owe money to, I owe money to so many people these days, I think. But if, if any of these people wrote me a little letter and said, I, we, we just want you to know that we've canceled your debt. What, what would you do if that happened? If your credit card company sent you that? If your lender sent you that? Would you say, no, 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 I can pay it back? What, what would you do? Would you be happy? Maybe you'd have a little bit of joy? Well, you know, my wife and kids are not going to be sold into slavery. There's nothing in the story 
He has no apparent reaction to the fact that billions of dollars have been forgiven by his, by his creditor, except to go out and choke a guy who owes him three months' wages. It, what's wrong with this? He's incredibly deluded. He's incredibly arrogant. He's incredibly uh, egoist. He, he's, he, what's wrong with him? We, we want to look and slap him and say, do you not understand? This person is completely unaffected by the fact that his huge astronomical debt has been canceled. So what does he do? He goes and he, he, he finds a guy who owes him three months wages. You know, a hundred denarii, do, 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 the, do the homework and you'll do the math. You'll say it's three months wages. This is a payable debt. He could pay it off. And what does he do? He grabs him and he chokes him. So he's, he's physically got this guy, uh, grabs him, uh, chokes him, puts him under his, you know, he's got him like this, and he says, you pay me back what you owe me. Wow. And sometimes we're like that with people. It, we, we're, we're, it's like we're choking them, maybe not physically, and we want them to pay for what they did to us. And yet we've been recipients of the grace of God. Pay me what you owe me. What does he think? Now that he's debt-free, he can go after someone who owes him money and he can make more money? Like, what is, he, what is he doing? What is he thinking? He's completely unchanged, untransformed completely by the fact that this unpayable debt has been paid. Instead, he's just, pay me what you owe me. He's completely unchanged. It's amazing. And it's frightening at the same time. And he, what, he violently refuses to forgive, really, a relatively small debt. So he says, I'm going to torture you, or I'm sorry, I'm going to put you in the jail. He would torture him anyway, and that is to extort the money. Tell me where the offshore accounts are. Squeeze them a little harder. <laughs> we'll get the money. We'll get our three months' wages. So what the, do his colleagues do? His colleagues are shocked, and they go to the big boss. And they say, uh, excuse me, but uh, here's what's going on in your company. You know, this is, what, this is what this guy is doing. And what the big boss, he is quite, quite upset. And he hauls the person into his office, and he, he in, a, in, in anger, uh, reverses his decision, throws the man into prison. And, you know, the story is he'll, he'll torture him until he can pay everything which he can never pay. What lessons can we learn uh, from this parable? Uh, be before we start saying Jesus is, is, this is crazy what Jesus is saying, perhaps we see a little more when we slow the story down. N number one, we, we have an unpayable sin debt. So if you put the story as an image, we have a debt that we owe God that we cannot pay. Unless, of course, you accept payment by your own personal death and eternal separation from God. That's how you pay it back, right? That doesn't work, okay? So we have an unpayable debt to God himself. We cannot pay God back. There's nothing that we can do to be in right standing with God. Zero. And this is a, a very difficult thing for non-Christian people to swallow, Again, it's what do I have to do 
to become a Christian? Do I have to get baptized? Okay, I'll get baptized. Do I have to attend the church? Okay, I'll, I'll attend the church. Do I have to give money? I'll give money. Do I have to teach? I'll, yeah, I'll teach. Just tell me what I have to do to become a Christian. And the answer is, there's nothing you can do. You have an unpayable debt. The only way you can get out of the situation is if God cancels it. If God pays the debt off somehow. We have an unpayable sin debt. So what does God do? God cancels the debt. He cancels it. So he becomes one of us. He pays the debt by giving his life on the cross, dying on the cross, and this pays the sin debt that we owe God. Wow, you're so quiet. That gets me excited. I don't know about you because I'm a great sinner, okay? So I get really excited when I, th when I think about these concepts because I know what a scoundrel I am, okay? So, so for me, I, I really want to jump up and down when I, when I think about this, this kind of stuff. God has forgiven your sin debt. All of us really are those scoundrels, right? All of us have those areas in our lives where we transgress God all the time. And yet God... In his mercy and in his grace, he has paid the debt for us. And he has canceled the debt, very much like this servant who had this unpayable debt canceled by his creditor. And so, there's supposed to be a change of heart that takes place. So, Jesus, Jesus says at the end, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, there should be a change of heart because we've experienced the grace of God. Uh, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So if we have enemies, we should be dis dispensers of the grace that we have received, you see. There should be a change of heart that we have. And so if we have that change of heart, we can consistently forgive those who sin against us. Remember the Lord's Prayer? At the end of it, forgive us our, as we forgive those who, this is an illustration of that. How you say, how is that possible to do? Well, if you have experienced the forgiveness of God and the grace of God, then it is possible to do, regardless of what they did to you. Regardless of what she did to you, what he did to you. And, you know, I've been, I've been pastoring 16 years, 17, 16 and a half years, whatever. Man, I've heard a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of stories, and seen a lot of things that people have done and continue to do to one another. I've seen Christians do things to one another, as I said last week, that, I mean, vicious is probably the only word that I can use to describe it. I've been involved in situations with law enforcement, uh, with with uh, the legal world uh, and the the, vi the viciousness that people the things that people can do to each other, wow! Even within the community of faith, wow! Quite shocking. So maybe you've been through things and you say, ah, <laughs> to forgive. I don't know if I can do that. Well, remember what it is and what it is not. Can you let that person off? of your vengeance hook. Can you take your hands from around their neck and remove them and let God take care of the person? If that person needed water, that person needed food, would you give it to that person? Would you treat that person like you would anybody else? 
Because when you do that, that's forgiveness, you see. Doesn't mean that you have to put yourself in a dangerous situation over and over again. Doesn't mean that you don't put up boundaries and protect yourself. Doesn't mean that there's no consequences for the action. It doesn't mean you forget what the person did to you. It doesn't mean that you say, no, you will not do that to me again, and here's how you will not. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means you release that person from your hook, and you let them go. You say, God, I trust you for vengeance, because I don't want that toxicity in my soul where I despise and loathe that person and have bitterness in my heart toward that person for the rest of my life. I remember a story... Uh, of a person that I visited. It's happened more than once, actually. A person that I visited in the hospital uh, just a while ago, years ago. And I remember visiting this lady, and she was a senior lady at the time, and uh, went to visit her. I forget what she was in the hospital for. And her face was literally contorted because of a lack of forgiveness. So I asked her how she was doing, she was in there for physical problems. I forgot what they were because they were insignificant compared to what she said next. I said, how are you doing? And, she's, and she recounted a story of what Christians did to her 25 years prior. And as she recounted the story, you could see the, the emotional stress in her face and in her whole body. She was so frustrated, so upset, so hurt, so bitter, so angry, and she could not, could not, could not release it. She could not get herself to a position, to a posture where she let her hands off the person's neck. It was actually one person. There were others around it, but there was one person who had offended her greatly, and she, she couldn't. She had to hold it, and I believe she took that bitterness to her grave. Uh, because she just could not let it go. And I'm not saying that the person was not a Christian, that she wasn't saved. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying she died with her hands around somebody's neck, so to speak. And folks, you do not want that kind of toxicity in your life. You don't want that kind of bitterness in your life because it's going to stifle everything that God wants to do in you when you hold that person hostage and you want vengeance on that person. So we have an unpayable debt. God forgave our debt in Christ, and uh, we have this change, this transformation in our hearts, and so we can forgive those who sinned against us. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Vivid illustration. Uh, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Next week, we're going to look at one final story, uh, which is a fascinating story uh, of, of forgiveness uh, to help you to survive the holidays. So we're going to move into a little transition uh, in our service at this time. I'd like the band if they would come and be ready to play in just a few moments. Uh, today is a very special day in, in our calendar. And uh, as believers, above all people, I think, uh, we need to recognize it and honor it because when people die for somebody else, it, they're, they're in a sense copying what Jesus did. Uh, when people give their lives for other people uh, who they don't even know, uh, they're in a sense showing a glimpse of what Jesus did on the cross. 
Today is the 11th of November. It's Remembrance Day. And people around the world, not just Canadians, uh, pause in a silent moment of remembrance for the men, for the women who have served and who continue to serve our country during times of war, conflict, and peace. And so we want to honor those who fought for Canada in the First World War from 1914 to 1918, the Second World War from 1939 to 1945, the Korean War from 1950 to 1953, as well as those who have served since then. Uh, more than 2.3 million Canadians have served our country in this way, and more than 118,000 have given their lives. Uh, they gave their lives and their futures so that we may live in peace, uh, the kind of peace that we have even in this room today, uh, tremendous freedom that we have in this nation. So I'd invite you, it's just changing to 11 o'clock, if we could just stop the music for one moment, and if we could just have a moment of silence, just turn the instruments off, yeah, it's okay. Just a moment of silence as we honor those who have given their lives uh, for us, just for a moment.